And Happy New Year to everyone, and welcome back to school. It's been a very cold week, um, and we appreciate everyone's efforts to <coughs> get into work and, and make the best of it. Are there any announcements? Okay. Um, we need a motion to approve the personnel agenda today. Approval of the personnel agenda all those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Those are approved 7 0. Um, I'm not going to go over the rules because Diane and, and Chuck know the rules. <laughs> You're in the audience. Uh, I don't think see anybody from their SIT, so you guys can draw whoever wants to speak first. If you're anyone speaking, come on up forward, and Mia will time you within three minutes. You're always prompt with that. Good evening. Good to see you all. Happy New Year. I am Diane Jackson, President of Chapel Hill Harbor Federation of Teachers. As an educator in this district, I'm here tonight to thank you, the Board of Education, for your steadfast commitment to and for the support of the staff and students in this district. As we move into the difficult process of budget preparation for the upcoming year, please do so with the support of the instructional program as your first priority, as you've done in the past. I know that we have over the years spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on consultants, institutions, etc. And in most instances, these, these dollars were well spent from an employee's point of view. As we move forward into an already predicted, extremely dire financial picture, please consider making outside contractors the least important line item in the budgetary process. I would also like to speak to policy 7500, and I just spoke to um, Mr. LaFries in the hallway about the work there. Um, when shared with the membership, questions arose around the need for clarity in the policy and clarity around the employee's rights of refusal as it relates to the change in work hours on a work day. Many staff members have second jobs. Hopefully this issue will be taken into consideration when the extended workday hours are proposed. And also we would hope that sufficient advance notice would be given if and when there is a change in the proposed workday hours. And that's it. Thank you. Good to see you.
looks like I'm becoming a regular here. Usually <laughs> <laughs> people run the other direction and HR directors. <laughs> <laughs> I have several policies to go over, so as you mentioned, I'll come to them one by one and just kind of go over the changes. Um, the first one is, these were all, by the way, reviewed by the board policy subcommittee in November. The first uh, policy is policy 7100, recruitment and selection of uh, personnel. And it adds some uh, minor language and requirements for um, legal references and cross-references. In addition to that, some consideration of certain factors when an applicant has a criminal history. It also um, adds language from the school board association that spe um, specifies that candidates are not required to disclose expunged arrest charges or convictions. And then there are some other um, factors added that are best practice from the EEOC. And then also, um, as a statement of the business necessity, obviously, of supporting the board's position that won't hire individuals that are registered sex offenders. Now, if you'll hold up the board members, are there any questions or discussion on this slide? Yeah. Um, I have one question that I just didn't think I really followed um, the language. So it's, I don't know, these aren't page numbers. I guess it's under bullet number two. It's the third page of the policy that I have. Um, there's new language that says a final candidate for employment or for hiring as an independent contractor will be excluded from hiring on the basis of criminal conduct only when doing so is job related consistent with business necessity. I, I didn't understand it. That means um, the criminal conduct had to be related to the kind of work they were doing. So if they were doing something that wasn't, that was criminal, that wasn't related to the work that they were being contracted for, they could still be hired? I guess an example might be someone who has a DUI but is not doing anything in a driving capacity or something like that. Um, but it was a recommended change from the school board association policy. Yeah, I just, I mean, I guess I'd like administration's input on that. I mean, you're part of that, obviously. Just the need to split hairs to that degree versus are we going to be hiring people with criminal records and then decide, well, whatever you were charged with, if it fits in your job description or not, is how we're going to determine if we have to consider it. I don't know if that's legally an issue. Or um, well, it's, there's a, uh, EEOC's, position on things shifts and their emphasis on things shift by administration. And there is a far more activist um, approach and it's tied in with the um, sort of dialogue about differential rates of conviction by race. It's, this has been a theory of the EOCs for a long time. I think that as you said, and so this is a recommendation that's coming from the EOC and the School Board Association has adopted it. Um, I do think that the language is uh, not helpful. No, who knows what it means? I, I think, for example, with the, uh, somebody who has been convicted of DUI, whether they drive or not, that might be a basis for not hiring them for a position. For example, they've been convicted of two, depending on what the circumstances of the conviction were, and um, the very general language. I, I just don't know what it gets for you, except that you've adopted what the EOC says you, you ought to have, which may or may not be helpful if you get audited by them over a particular case. I guess what I was worried about is that by putting this in, it would almost seem like anybody could say, oh, you can't, unless it was really specific, like that you were teaching and had some. I, I, don't think it, I don't think it does that. I think it raises a question, the question that you asked about what does that mean. Mm -hmm. 
I think that it will be up to the administration to interpret it. I think you have freedom to interpret it. I just, I, I'm not sure how helpful it is as policy okay. language apart from. And this says independent contractor. So, what? So that's very narrow. Who are like? Can hire a music therapy therapist. Oh right, person. independent contractor. So they could be in classrooms too. Okay, and not just. I was thinking building. You know. Mm -hmm. well, it's employment here. Right. Yeah, it's for both. Okay. Good. Any other board members have thoughts on that issue? I mean, just I mean, it gives at least some factors to be considered. So I was going to say that that addition also helps to clarify these factors have to be considered if we do happen to hire someone, independent contractor, otherwise. Um, Well, now is there a motion to uh, adopt the policy 7100 with these changes? Move so moved to adopt policy 7100 as Is there a second? second? Any further discussion? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay. That was approved. Okay, the next policy is 7130 licensure and includes updates on two sections. Section B um, is recommended by the School Board Association to address conversion of teaching licenses from a standard professional 122 and to specify that licensing decisions can't be appealed at the local level. Uh, and Section E isn't new but wasn't previously included in our local policy and it just pertains to the equitable distribution of highly qualified teachers, which um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago during my other presentation, we only hire highly qualified teachers, so. Questions? I had a, just a small question, and that was um, on A. I really wasn't sure what our beginning teacher support program standards are sure. and what a regionally based annual <laughs> peer review and support system, which I guess is a new law or something. Sure, absolutely. It's, it's governed by the um, state board policy TCPA004, which is cross-reference in the policy. And so that policy specifies eight different beginning teacher standards. And they are program administration, an orientation program, optimum working conditions, mentor selection and training, observations and evaluation, professional development plans, additional local assistance programs, and program evaluation. And so that's all listed in the state board policy. We do have a plan on file that was approved by the board um, March of 2012. So the last time this actual policy was updated, we submitted the plan. It just has, it has you know, that it's on file. We do get a, um, there are regionally based um, from DPI beginning teacher coordinators. They also handle oh. teacher of the year coordinators. So they, they manage the process of the peer review. And our last peer review was done in March. Usually it's done in March, and it's uh, ours was Davidson County. So they, they basically do a swap. So Ms. Gunderson, our beginning teacher support coordinator, meets at a location with their identified peer. And then they exchange, they look at all of the program standards and um, the program evaluation, and they do a review. And that's done annually. We did every five years, there's a formal uh, review by DPI. Our last stand. Um, review was on, in February of 2011, and so we definitely are meeting um, proficiency. Okay. Not only are we meeting proficiency, but during our last review, we, we actually received three formal commendations. Oh, excellent. And so um, that had to do with our overall program. Our peer assistant was called 
the PAR program before Pearson. Oh, okay. And also okay. Pearson's consulting and also on our, um, our PAR program and our high quality professional development. So, so the next time we're up for review is a couple of years from now. Thank you very much. Did anybody else have any questions on this one? Is there a motion? Motion to approve. I see seven one three. A second. <coughs> All those say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Approved. The next policy is seventy two forty drug free and alcohol work free like workplace. It adds a new section: reasonable suspicion search to address when an employee may be subjected to a search of his or her person or belongings or school property based on reasonable suspicion that an employee has violated the policy. And it also includes a, um, a little bit of a reorganization of the sections A and B just for clarity. And then section D has a corrected um, internal citation. And then we also, uh, there was some information that wasn't included in, the, in our local policy, um, although it wasn't new information, so we added that. And then also uh, an added um, section explains the duty of the HR director um, were designated upon receiving a notice of conviction and defines that conviction and then an, an updated legal reference as well. Can is that Alfred plead the same thing as a no-low contendery? Uh, yeah, it's a little more. There's some specific twists and turns. But Does it need to be included in this? Or no. Uh, I mean, since it's it's a unique to North Carolina thing, and it's identified and it's commonly identified in the courts as an Alford plea, I probably would put it in there. Yeah, that under D, that duty or wherever, you know, that and one it has that list of all if you're guilty of blah blah blah, so we can consider that. Okay. And then when when I read it, actually, I I think it was a little bit conflicted before, and I think it's still a little conflicted now. I think the intent is that if you're an employee and you're after hours, you go to a reception or some event, but you're in your official capacity and they're serving some alcohol. And it used to be when we used to have the retirement thing over at the Carolina Club, and it was okay to have a glass of wine. And, and that was fun because the policy used to say no usage or being under the influence. And so now it says, and so it didn't apply during that situation. And now I think it says that you know, you shouldn't be under the influence of alcohol, but then it's saying that if you're at a reception and you're in your official duty, it's okay to be wasted, but it doesn't apply. And I don't think we want to, you know, indirectly. I, I mean, I wanted to see exactly what we intend, that it's, you can have a drink, it's okay, but we still don't want to say that it's okay to be under the influence. I think I have two suggestions. One is, I think that we could just add back the, you know, no employee, it's under the section A, last sentence, no employee will use or be under the influence, so kind of add that back. We could do that. And then secondly, um, in section B, we could add a sentence at the last, um, kind of referencing what's in the cross-reference policy, staff responsibilities and ethics. So what I would suggest is putting in a line that says, the board, after, right after that, the board expects all staff members to conduct themselves on and off the job, da 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 in accordance with policy mm -hmm. that that's way. Right, because I think the behavior you're yeah. trying to... is broader yeah. than just alcohol. Right, so I like that a lot better. Where others? Mike, yeah, sorry. Um, what is our policy on uh, uh, tobacco use or possession on uh, school property by employees? I think that there's a totally separate policy. I, I know that in, gosh, it was like 2008 or 2009, there was a, a specific required legal policy, so I'm not... 
by a teacher or substitute who is not designated as highly qualified for four or more consecutive weeks. And there, I may be wrong on this, but you can certainly read that to say by one or more substitute teachers who are not highly qualified for four consecutive weeks. And but, you know, that, that's where the language, the four weeks is coming from. So we can say one or more. Right, you could put one or more substitutes. It doesn't. I'm just trying to figure out a way to juke the system there. Maybe, maybe <laughs> the teachers and the administration might, will do that in that case. Maybe they will. I'm trying to, do you have any wording that would help us be more specific? But it's, it, it, the wording would, then wouldn't be consistent with the statute. Yeah. It's just a loophole around the statute. It's something we, I think, there's not a lot we can do about it. Okay. And, and um, <coughs>
Anybody have any questions? Is there a motion to approve? Motion to approve. Second? Second. All those good say aye. Aye. Policy 7520 is requested as approved. 7810. 7810, evaluation of license employees. Just adds um, some updated information about student performance and growth data to um, item number three. It just reflects the measures that will be considered as part of standard six. Um, it also deletes certain references to career status um, and then clarifies some provisions regarding teachers being evaluated on the abbreviated instrument. And then, of course, also some legal and cross references. There was some discussion in the policy subcommittee about some of the factors um, that may change, and so we deleted those. And um, I think that there were specific things. Um, analysis of student work for performance-based <coughs> courses. So, so many of those things are, are really being worked out in terms the following sentence after that, um, we think, kind of gets to that. Um, that it says multiple means of assessing student performance should be used. Are there any questions? Okay, thank you. Jane seconded all those in favor say aye. Yes, um, although I would say that what 
Arasi is proposing isn't really removing rights. It's trying, and by streamlining the process, it isn't. I mean, people get to the board faster is the idea. So the, 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 that level of independent review decisions just happens sooner. And it is a confusing and awkward process. And we've talked about it a number of times. But yes, teachers have a different system. And in part, the reason that you might say that it's more protective is that there are specific requirements for document exchanges. And there is an outside, essentially, administrative judge who the teacher can ask for, apart from even the Board of Education. So it's, it's a more elaborate process. At this point, Correct. I thought they were a for-profit organization. 
beginning of language and number three, groups yep. selected by selected schools. By schools. So, so how, I think we probably want to flesh out how yep. that process works because we want to decide, first of all, do we want to be able to make those decisions so we can either avoid the situation like you laid out or we can say, actually we have a policy and the reason it's we chose you is because right. we decided we, we liked you. We liked you, or we didn't. You know, we didn't choose you because we didn't like you, and you can so reapply number six. It's okay, small right. So I don't. I don't. I don't know how we. We would, we would have to decide a little. Maybe discuss it further, or come up with a draft of what criteria we use. Yeah. So this goes back to the issue of regs versus policy, and one of the things I was going to bring up at some point in this list of policy that we have talked about. We've had trouble where our regs don't reflect changes with policy. So any of these policies that have regulation, when they come back to us, it's within our purview. Ken has clarified this for us, right. that we can look at those and comment on those and even edit them if they are not following policy. And so one way administration can handle this potentially would be any of these policies that have regulations that would have to be changed because of the changes that we bring, that we see that when it comes to consent and specifying, specifying how these groups are selected by the schools, what criteria are used, they can decide are they going to bring it to us as part of a policy or is it going to be part of the regs that reflect this. So what are some of the other examples of these groups selected by schools? I mean, do we have, what examples? So basically what we have um, is we have organizations um, or volunteer groups that are seeking to uh, provide um, Burmese language instruction okay. um, to um, students and their parents, or English language instruction to um, uh, um, parents of uh, Hispanic students. And so um, they're seeking uh, the use of the facility. There's no cost for them to do this. They're completely volunteer-based, and so they're seeking to use the building. And so there isn't a uh, mechanism under policy for them to basically come in and use the building free of charge. And they don't have any money to because they're not charging for this. And so what's been happening is, is they've been um, um, uh, speaking to social workers or trying to get a faculty member to uh, stay after school. Schools have struggled with it. Some schools have paid staff members a stipend uh, to so come in. school to, sponsor. And so basically, exactly, basically what's happening is the school district is trying to figure out ways to facilitate this happening. Um, and it, it just gets to be where we are kind of running an outside organization's interests. And it just seemed that providing this option would um, provide a mechanism for people to use the facility yeah. when, again, it's educational services to students. There's no charge for kids to participate. And the district really isn't going to incur any cost because it's at a time when the building is open anyway. My, my son was involved in one of these, and they've gone to, to doing the tutoring at the student's home, which is not a good answer. So no. I mean, this is something we, we really do want to so do. So we let it be, and we, if we get students, we might have to change our policy. Yeah. What do you think? I have another question, though. And this is at Chapel Hill High, and there's a teacher who is sponsoring a series of lectures that are you have to pay to go. And the PTA gets ten percent. And that's a to me temper that's not a PTA event in my mind. That's a fundraiser, that's a for profit thing that then if you give ten percent, you're the employee, 
you can take a deduction if you itemize, and I think it's very controversial, and it hadn't, uh, in my knowledge, hadn't occurred before until last year, and it's happening again this year. And to me, that it's not a PTA event. The, the employee needs to be renting out the facilities, and I was wondering if that had happened or what the board thinks about that or if we need to have some we need to have some sort of policy about how to handle this where I feel employees are, are making money and not not what if it paying us what, what we if want. It, were an it isn't if it weren't or what if it weren't? Then they have to pay. Oh, no, but the PTA sponsors they could they go They would be taking in all the money. Which well, is do right. we set the percentage? You know, how much so, how much money do you have to be making for it to be affected to really be a PTA sponsored event? So, so yeah. I reviewed this yeah. last year, and I I, I couldn't I, I I was kind of I think where Dr. Purcell was headed that the PTA is sponsoring this activity as a fundraiser for the PTA, and the PTA is deciding what contractor or whomever they're using to provide either services or sometimes they, you know, they sell food, Chick Fil A sandwiches or what have you. I don't think we get in the middle in terms of how much the Chick-fil-A sandwich costs and how much money the PTA is making. And so I kind of, as I looked at it, I I couldn't determine what was an acceptable amount. Or I don't know how I would how I would do that. Especially, but this is you know after hours and it's definitely a custodial cost and it's and it is an employee. I think it's a very it's an area that we need to we need to come up with some policy on. Um, we have a policy. So what would they fall under then? Well, I mean, really, that PTA, right? PTA, 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 PTA. PTA. That that's a fundraiser. Yeah. But, but they're not. No, that's no. That's as an account, I can tell you, they would. If that was their fundraiser, they would be collecting at the gate but, and distributing to the paying the other person. But no, what you're getting is, is number five. It's a course run by that's a school not what's happening. It's a course run by a school employee, which is number five. But the way they're getting around it, and that would cover you. I have saw to the pay, flyer. I thought they had you'd to, have to pay the, the custodial fees. But then what's right, happening is what's fee. happening is the PTA is flagshipping it. With there's just a, a minimal piece of it, and you pay the people, and so it, it, that's how they're getting around it. So it's a question yeah. of if everybody here agrees that that's something that shouldn't happen or not. But mm -hmm. Can I ask okay. a, if I'm going to this event, do I write a check to the PTA? That's yes. my, yeah. uh, my understanding is that it's not that's the what the flyer, the what the flyer, maybe they changed it this year. Then it's different, then it's different, yeah. That, that's Compared to if you're writing a check to the employee, uh -huh. check to the PTA. Yeah. And, and it sounds like that's governed by the policies that we would have over how PTA fundraisers are conducted, right? It's They're separate from us. We don't really have yeah, policies have over them. <laughs> I mean, in fact, so I'll, I'll tell you from, but it, so that it, I'll tell you from being on the state board for the PTA, one of the things they deal with all the time is a misunderstanding by local PTAs and their money. And right. their their obsession with fundraising, and that really what they're supposed to be focused on is advocacy for the kids, um, and so that is a constant battle at the state level trying to re-educate um, treasurers and presidents at the local PTA level. So there's a lot of rogue behavior, not not in any malintent. It's just right. it's not relegated well. There's great variability even within our schools. Sure. But what was it just? A, I've lost track of what you were trying yeah, to say. It, 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 see, so it, let's come up with a negative example. Let's say okay. that 
under the guise of a PTA fundraiser at a school, somebody's taking money and putting it in their own pocket, or they're making a percentage for them, their own individual profit, and maybe cutting a check to the PTA. Something like that sounds like it would fall outside of the guidelines of how a PTA sponsored event in our school should operate. And I don't think that's part of this policy. Right. I think that's part of a different practice at least, even if it's not in the policy. What our, what our guidelines are when the PTA uses our facilities, the following, you know, all, all funds have to go through the PTA, for example, I think would be a guideline. Oh, good point. They're hiring I think a teacher or whatever has a private contractor, and they have a contract with that individual, whether it's our own employee or somebody from a neighboring yeah. district. Yeah. Oh, good points. Uh, they might want to consider a different fundraiser if they're only getting 10%. Yeah. Well, 20, yeah, 25 yeah. is what the flyer says. Well, yeah. 25 for this year, it's 25. That's their prerogative to not make money. Because there's lots of fundraisers where I don't think you make you know, huge amounts of money. Um, right. It's like Shel said, that tension though between fundraising, educating, because it's also a mission to have educational forums. Um, and advocacy, and we, because we do really do appreciate PTAs and all they do, and the relationship, we've been extremely lenient uh, in providing facilities. So, um, okay, there is an avenue at any time if you're if a principal's uncomfortable or somebody's uncomfortable, they can run it through the state PTA. There, there, there are state officers. They get questions all the time about things that people are doing, and they'll. They'll clarify what the regulations are, the policies are from the state level and what they're supposed to be doing or not doing. So I mean, that's just a point of information yeah. for people to know so that there's ever any concern. Yeah. So are we happy with the wording of number three? I'll let it be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're time to move on. But it's a good discussion. Is there, is there a second? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you, Mike. That's Yep. So we've got a variety of transportation policies. The first uh, policy um, just provides some additional language for the use of bus monitors and safety assistance, uh, and then uh, safety practices um, on our buses and activity buses. And so uh, there's a list of items there. Uh, but other than that, uh, that's about the extent of it. <laughs> These are sort of bare bones, so instead of taking one at a time, I'm just going to kind of take them all together. But let's look at uh, 6305. I just had a, a little issue with D that seemed to me, question, that D applies to not only school buses and activity buses, but also commercial buses and contracted vehicles, so that maybe the title should just be safety practices, or those other things need to be included. That's how I read it. Um, you know, I, I, I thought a little bit about that. The only yeah. thing I would say is that on a commercial bus, they do have restroom facilities, and they're often traveling hours, and so students can get out of their seats to go use a restroom. That's true. So that would be the only, uh, only. Can you just put a caveat on number three? Mm -hmm. unless, the, unless the bus has a bathroom? <laughs> well, it's standing or sitting. They're just walking to the restroom and getting back. Do all time and place all riders must be seated when the vehicle's in motion. Unless it has a bathroom. Unless nature calls. All I'm saying is let's just change the title to safety practices. That would be fine. Okay. Just, just for clarity, you're talking about the title of D. D. Uh huh. Since you know, I'm concerned about it. 
we say something like it's, it's the responsibility of the driver to uh, uh, be responsible for all associated moving violations. It actually, there's a bullet. Oh, there is, I guess. It's at the bottom of the first list. Um, school bus and activity bus drivers, the bottom is what we'll report it. to. Actually, I think that should be, <laughs> reading that, I think it should be our transportation director, <laughs> not the principal. You're right. But I was, but what I was right. saying is, we'll be responsible. We'll be responsible for you. That's, 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 that's understood, but it says reasonable judgment. I think that's bullet four yeah. captures it. Bullet four. One, it's good two, judgment. Two, that's related to speed. Well, it's also captured in your. Would you talked about your progressive discipline policy. If, you, if a bus driver violates traffic laws, then that's going to fit into your progressive discipline policy. Okay. It's probably so evident that you're supposed to follow traffic laws when you drive. Yeah. yeah, that's why I at least want to bring it up because as the policy is written now, that is not happening consistently. Okay. You have people speeding. Slow down, slow down, slow down. I mean, I think the board is interesting through policies, but I think so oh, if, happy, this, this if you have concerns about drivers speeding, probably the most direct way to do that is reporting. Right? No, yeah, I understand I mean, that. Just go ahead and make sure the transportation person emphasizes with the drivers now it's important that you're not speeding people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. I just want to make sure that there was a sense to change the policy. All right. Now let's move to 6320. Um, I had a, I could tell at the bottom based on the, um, the subsequent policy that it should say that the North Carolina's first and second lines that the North Carolina Procedures Governing Programs and Services for Children with Special Needs is now called Policy 6320. Right. Bottom transportation. End of first line, which there's no, the bottom okay. paragraph, okay. sorry. Gotcha, gotcha. That is now called the North Carolina Policies Governing Services for Children with Disabilities. Because mm -hmm. it's it's changed two policies later. So that needs to be changed. And then um, I really think the title should be Special Needs is Out of Vogue, and it should be Transportation for Students with Disabilities. And then I wanted to ask Ken, really, just, just because you're disabled doesn't mean you have an IEP or you have, I didn't know what it meant by um, a student who is identified, say, as being disabled following procedures in the North Carolina Policies Governing Series for Children with Disabilities shall be provided with transportation services as required by law. Does that policy say, when they say disabled, they mean you do have an IEP or you have a 504, so you want to get it, that? It could be worded better, but I yeah. mean, the requirement is that any um, student with a disability who requires the transportation be given. And that, by that, we mean students who are identified under IDEA. IDEA. Um, and not necessarily wow. Section 504, for example. So that is what I believe this policy was written to cover those required transportation services under IDEA and state laws implementing IDEA. Okay, so a student who is identified as disabled under IDEA. Well, let's change that. You're going to qualify right now. Following procedures in the North Carolina Policies Governing Series for Children with Disabilities shall be provided with transportation services as as required by law or when required, maybe when required when, by law. Because it's not everyone. Because it's not everybody, so when required by law would make it more accurate. Because like James's daughter's got a broken leg, she needs transportation services. I would with IEP, but he doesn't need any right. transportation services. Right, it varies, so it's when it's required by law. But I would offer it, even to some kids that you could have Yeah. Now, okay. Is the rest of the board through with those changes? Uh-huh. Okay. 
motion to adopt the resolution. Give the resolution. So moved. Second. Uh, of course, as amended. As amended. Can I ask one sure. question? Um, I don't know which one of these policy would fall under. Um, is there a policy against extra adults riding on the buses in the morning? Yeah. Um, well, you know, interesting that one of the policy was the use of safety assistance and bus monitors. Um, it's a discussion that uh, I've been having with the transportation director as well as um, our volunteer department, um, thinking about the beginning of school, especially with kindergartners, um, and perhaps finding a way to streamline that process and make that easier to get everything more familiar for the little ones. Um, so it's something we're looking at, and I thought it was kind of interesting that came out of policy. Uh, Which one is it that you're going to discuss? 6305, section D. Um, is there any mechanism that parents are notified if there's another adult on the bus just not serving any function? So I'm a little more, I'm like, Shell, I'm a leery of that. I'm very So leery. right now the only other adults on the buses are on our EC buses and their bus monitors. Um, but our regular buses do not have bus monitors so if, on. If on occasion, I should. I, on occasion, we, when a bus driver is having difficulty with a with a bus route, our transportation director or our operations manager may ride the bus with the bus driver if they're having difficulty on a route. So if parents, their kids are talking about there are two bus, two adults on that bus all the time, they, that's something they should let the transportation director know because that's not part of our policy. Right. Okay. And then field trips are activity buses, and sometimes. Parents do ride along on that. Um, coaches, volunteer coaches. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Is the, all of, all, any other discussion? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Right. Any opposed? Okay, these are approved as amended 7 0. Okay. So now we're at 7500 workday. So basically, this is a policy change uh, regarding the definition of a workday with respect to um, workdays when students aren't at school. And it was requested by the ISD department uh, for professional learning uh, and to support uh, teachers who might have PLCs or there might be some type of professional development going on district-wide that applies to the multiple levels of schools. And so, um, as you know, the the way the policy is currently written, it states that on those days, teachers are to work their normal work hours. For elementary school, that could be starting at 725. For high school, that would be over an hour later. And so when you're trying to run a workshop um, or get all teachers at, across the arts together, that becomes very difficult if someone's coming in um, over an hour later for their work day. Uh, and then at the elementary level, clearly their work day ends much earlier than a high school work day. And so what this is basically stating is that um, uh, there, there's, there's the need um, for those type of professional learning opportunities uh, to have teachers work somewhat different than their, their normal schedule. This wouldn't be all the time. Uh, it wouldn't apply to all teachers. It just would be uh, um, uh, with respect to certain, um, certain professional learning activities. Yeah. So, um, just to address the concerns we were hearing about, is there, would you, Todd, see any reason why not to put the words with reasonable notice in that either may require teachers um, to work hours that are different from regular school days with reasonable notice? Is the intent on this to be specifically for teacher work days on days where you don't have normal school hours? Right? Yes. That's correct. Yes. That, that okay. is exactly what this is. 
It needs to say that. I think you should see it, just say that more clearly. Because it, it needs to say because that. Because then that way you don't have to provide any kind of special notification. You can just look at the calendar. Well, but it may be. You have to have notification if you're going to Lincoln Center for, you know, you uh, need uh, for something that's, right. yes. But I think multi this is going to happen anyway. So I think just it's a reassurance. That's not anything else. Not necessarily Well, these are two separate issues, Todd, I think. I mean, in the past, we, the board added that last sentence that's being deleted because we used to have these early release days, and we were having some trouble. And in fact, you know, at one of our schools, we had trouble until last year that it was, if it was a delayed opening or a work day, staff didn't come in. And we wanted it, it, it explicitly in policy that even if it's a teacher work day, you're expected to be there. So, but it was also that, the other sentence meaning sometimes we're going to have an after-school faculty meeting and you are required to attend so it's both features it's that that sentence is not just for teacher work days it's for the entire school year that there are times when there are parent conferences on the parent conference days or assigned duties you know if you're in charge of uh, the bus pickup that day uh, it has to be for both and I think that's I'm missing something that's what I think we're stating here and that's where professional development was added to that sentence that variety of those all of those different things whether it's an administrative meeting a faculty meeting curriculum development um, the professional development was added there specifically to capture what was in that last sentence which was talking about days when school wasn't in session and so it may require teachers to work hours that are different than the regular school day and the regular school day is um, in that time before school opens to the time that after kids are kids are gone. We could still have it with reasonable notice. Um, and then, um, I'd be fine with the reasonable notice piece, but also think that um, something that language that would reflect the concerns that have been expressed would be something to the effect that um, if exceptions to this requirement have to be made that administration or the principal would look at each situation on a case by case mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right yes yes something like that like, you know, yeah yeah you guys can pretty mm -hmm. that up <laughs> yes so I'm still confused about then the last sentence being struck does that get at what you were talking about, Annetta? I mean, Chanzetta, uh, the... I wouldn't strike it. The work day, uh, the the delayed opening days, because I know that certainly had come up where we were having... Having issues. Issues where staff was not coming in to do the professional development that was going on. So are you saying that people are not coming in and not taking leave? Or that right, right. And we had even assistant principals doing this, and we've discovered that in the last two years. It's a couple of our secondary schools I mean, that's a an, big I mean, problem. This, that, so all this is, this is all, I mean, that's against, um, that's fraud uh, and all the kinds of bad things. You don't really need a policy on that. I mean, that, if somebody doesn't come to work and doesn't submit leave, then one or more people are going to ought to be We don't have, we don't really need this language then. It's just a professional expectation. So well, HR and administration has enough there. to deal with that without opinion policies. Without it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good. Okay. Because they're getting paid for eight hours. No, that's great. Yeah. If, if, if 
the policy okay, doesn't have to have the word in it for the superintendent to do it. And clearly it was in policy, and it wasn't making any difference at the one school anyway, two schools anyway, so. Well, I, I mean, the previous language here wasn't specific about the late open days, right? It was about work days. It was about work days, right, right. Well, it was because, right, when yeah. we used to have early release, sometimes people would just leave. But it wasn't clear about it that. It wasn't clear enough, right. Okay, so we have the with reasonable notice, and we're going to add about extenuating circumstances for individuals mm -hmm. to work with the um, principal. Or immediate supervisor. Immediate supervisor. Okay, great. And again, it's one of those things. If we, if you guys, if the issues develop, it can come back to yeah, us. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the the second underlying section it may require teachers to work hours that are different from the regular school day. That sounds like it's broad enough to cover everything. Yeah. I think the the one thing that sits with me is that we've got a number of what I call use cases where we have these sort of examples of teacher work days, uh, okay. delayed openings. It seems like we should spell out a little more clearly. Maybe, maybe I'm being, I'm talking too much about it. It seems like we should spell out more clearly what some of the, what some of the examples are and what. Usually we don't, with we the policy with the, I mean we can, if it, the, and we'll see what, I mean Ken can give us advice. When it comes up, when we start doing that, it ends up being more restrictive where you start listening because then you can't think of every possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So we tend to keep it broader Broad. and then the administration as issues come up will that could be like yeah. address yeah. that. Yeah. 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 All right. Are we good? Okay, then move resolution. Thank you. Is there a second? Amended. Second. All those say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Policy. Alright, 2126. This, we've talked about it a couple of times. Um, I guess this is the best attempt to kind of reflect what the language request was. It's a nice compromise. Move to approve. Is there a second? Second. Any further discussion? Go pass me a note. No, no. Oh. <laughs> that was the most awesome. I was about to say that. Oh, jeez. I'm going to make another joke. I couldn't resist. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Maybe a pose. It's a good sentence. Aye. Five F. Oh, oh, this comes around every now and then. 5210. Fifty-two ten is the policy that uh, regulates our distribution to students of non-school materials, and so we've made some slight changes on here. We'd like to pursue some other avenues, perhaps an electronic version of this. Uh, it is pretty labor-intensive, but before we can really pursue it, the, the wording in here needs to be changed. So that's what we brought to you. These just small words. Board members, a motion or just questions in there? Um, I appreciate your request to consider. Um, streamlining and reducing costs, but um, was it your intent to put the language electronic um, disbursement in in the policy, in the edits, or is that for a future revision? You all helped me. I read it twice. Get out of I didn't see the word, I didn't see the words electronic disbursement. No, and we're not entirely convinced that it needs to be electronic conversion, but we'd like to at least have that option, but we didn't feel like we could do that because the policy as written says it, it needs to be taken home with students, okay. so that, that refers to paper. And if we want to go to an on-paper solution, we need to have that word changed. Okay. It just says so distribute materials to parents directly. That's 
as of right now, it's an, it's an enormous cost and time uh, when somebody wants to do it. They want to blanket all elementary schools, for instance, 10 schools. Uh, they've got to bring them in stacks of 25. They've got to bring them to schools. And somebody's got to get them from there into the mailboxes. Somebody's got to get them from the mailboxes into the backpacks. And it's pretty high cost to the vendors as well. Well, I mean, I, that's fine, but I didn't really see any other significant, I didn't see any impactful changes to the policy that will reduce the cost. Well, what it says is it says they can distribute directly to parents. Which could be electronic. Which means electronic. So that is implied. It's implied. Should it's implied. it be explicit? No. That's the flexibility he asked for. They, it sets them up, so. It won't exclude electronic, but it will allow other ways to get And it could still be paper, too. Paper or electronic. Well, if, if, I guess if it's not explicit, then the offer still has to be, has to remain to provide a paper copy when it's requested. For those who don't have internet, right. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you an example. There's a company that I've discovered recently. I'm not suggesting these are a solution. But one company that we know of, uh, I saw them at a conference, Charlotte Mecklenburg just recently signed on with them. It's a company called Speech Jar. That's one example of what they do to solve this problem is they have a solution where the, I'm going to call it the vendor, but it's usually the nonprofit organization, Parks and Rec, whoever it might be, they pay a very small fee directly to Pitch Jar. It's, it's usually $15 to $30 per school, much cheaper than the cost of making the copies. And they upload it uh, in HTML format, which then goes into um, where, where emails go out to the parents so you can then look at all the, all the flyers that came in for this week or this month or however frequently we want to do it. Some, some districts can send it every time they get a flyer or something, just wait and do it once a week. Parents can opt out if they don't want them. Uh, they said the opt-out is very low. It's less than 1% right now because parents do want to see these things. And the nice part for the vendor is they don't have to go to every school and deliver them. It's a much cheaper solution for them. It costs us nothing. We don't have any time involved. When a, when a vendor comes to us and says, we want to get this flyer out, we connect them with Peach Jar. They take care of it. We don't bill them. We don't touch the money. We don't get any money out of it. We're not seeking that. It's just one more way to get, to get that information to parents uh, and not take up any kind of instructional time. So some solution, and there may be other companies that do the same thing, but uh, before we could really pursue it, I just felt like the wording this prohibited it because it says taking home with students. I understand your solution. I think I support that, but it doesn't address that is concerned, and that is that it's, our, it's our general policy that we have alternative ways of delivering information to those who don't have email or don't use email. Um, so we, you know, I think we have records of who has email and who doesn't. Well, then what we would need to do in that case is we would have to, uh, the, the vendor who wants to send their information home would then also still have to send 10, 20, 30 copies yeah. to each school yeah. as well, and certainly we can make that known to them if that's, if that's indeed the solution we want to pursue. I don't come with a preconceived notion that I have a particular one in mind, but I think there are solutions out there that we can look at. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think you, the policy has to change to be able to do that.
North Carolina School Boards, and I think you've all seen the information sent by um, Ed Dunlap. Um, other school boards have passed a resolution regarding the vouchers for uh, for students, and this resolution is being um, distributed to school boards, asking them to take action. Um, and I guess the they're looking for in short order because this is something that's so um, we've got some according to the North Carolina School Boards, they're saying there wouldn't be a cost. Ken kind of weighed in on um, doesn't foresee cost, but nothing is ever I mean, just I know you guys have read it, so you all know this, but it isn't really just a resolution saying you oppose vouchers, it's agreeing to join the litigation. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I came to us, I think I sent you an email saying. Probably it won't result in negative consequences, apart from um, what you expect. But just as an example, in the Leandro litigation, Charlotte ended up as a realigned, started out as a, as a plaintiff, ended up as a realigned defendant, and is now kind of on the run. And that, or, you know, I describe it too, yeah. too lightly, but um, you never know what's going to happen. And again, you're, do you want to do you want to be in this litigation or not? They get a number of school systems. There isn't any real urgency. I mean, the urgency, I guess, is convenience. They're going to add whoever has agreed to join the litigation sometime mid-month to the to the caption. They'll make a filing if they if you wanted to do it, you wanted to think about it. They could always add you later on if they felt like it was important. But if you're ready to do it, that's fine. But typically, um, Mr. Dunlap said there would be no cost to local boards because the legal assistance, the association's legal assistance fund, will bear the litigation costs. And assuming no unresolvable conflicts, which we do not anticipate, your local board would be represented by the same legal counsel for representing the association and the individual plaintiffs. Right, so it's Bob Warrior. Court Justice. Right. So you, that's what they would anticipate unless something drastic <coughs> happens. Yeah, I mean, I, to me that promise is we're going to pay for this litigation. And it doesn't really say, and if things go really really badly and you end up somehow whatever we're going to cover every possible cost it's unlikely that that's going to happen so just to clarify for the public i asked ahead of time so i planned to ask in public that my concern was could this potentially cost us in light of trying to be fiscally responsible but that this seemed fundamentally different to me than just being which you know opposing the private school vouchers but being named you know within the suit adding our name to it and then potentially could that result in litigation costs to us. And I, I wasn't entirely satisfied with just school board association's promise of paying the bill when you can't predict, I would think, and you were trying to clarify that, you can't predict how the courts will go and how things will be split off and who knows, who knows. So I just right. want to acknowledge that it's sort of an unknown. It's also, I mean, it's a little different. I'm not taking a, I don't take a position, it wouldn't be my role to take a position one way or the other on it anyway, but. You are going in saying we've been injured, or we're going to be injured. And how, I mean, and you're sort of repeating what the school board association has said about you're going to be injured or whatever. I mean, before you jump into something like this, would you like to have more discussion about that or not? I think mean, that would be a legitimate position. On the other hand, there are a number of school systems that are joined. And, uh, I think there have been prior examples where we have joined lawsuits. Always with the North Carolina 
the yeah. Board Association. It was the fines and forfeitures. Yes, yes. Was that was one of them. Yes, that was. There's uh, more than one. But in any, in any case, I think we came late to that one actually. Um, um, anyway, I, I think that this is the right fight to be in. Um, I think that this uh, is wrong, wrong public policy. It's uh, not a legal scholar by any stretch of imagination, but to me it seems unconstitutional. Um, and I think this is uh, in our interest, and we will. Suffering some uh, detrimental effects if this goes through. Uh, so I, I support it. Andrew? So we took the language from the resolution from the North Carolina School Board Association. Yes. So my question was why are we referring to by the name of the bill rather than the name of the law? Oh, yeah. So I don't know if it matters. The name of the law is SL 2013 2013-360. And so passing the resolution is totally separate from making a decision to enter a lawsuit. Is that what no, that's what it's all, all one and the same. Hereby agrees to join as a plaintiff. We're going to be a plaintiff. Therefore, it is resolved. Right. Right. We're joining in. But they're, they're agreeing they'll pay for it. And represent us. Okay, there we go. Yeah. James? Yeah. I do too. I think it's, I think it's a critical issue across the nation. And, I, and because there have been voucher programs in Minnesota and other other states, the evidence is there that it is discriminatory, especially to like my easy child, um, to children with behavioral issues, and a, a religious uh, issue as far as separation of religion and state in the schools, and it does harm public education. So I'm, I'm very supportive. Does anyone know if there are examples currently of states where voucher money is actually going to religious schools? D.C., right? District of Columbia. Well, there's a long um, line of cases about the circumstances in which it's all right if there's sort of a general support program through transportation. or That's where it began, um, beginning in New Orleans. And the Supreme Court of the United States found that indirect support to religious schools, actually more or less direct support to religious schools was fine if it wasn't for a religious purpose and it was sort of it was available to everyone. So I, I went to um, a religious school and as a child. I rode a public bus to school and used public books. Except for religion. That was Michigan. Uh, are there questions, discussions? Is there a motion to? Resolution. All those in, uh, additional discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes 7 0. So, Kim, will you, will you be able to keep us updated or should we be in touch with? Um, Allison, Allison will update you. Um, okay. I'll be happy to pass on updates. I don't know what. Uh, what have their planning but my guess is there'll be lots of memorandum that coming from Bob and about how things are going, and you'll be reading about it. All right, so Dr. Priscilla and I will be signing this and letting Mr. Belmont know because they were on the, I can sign them tonight, so they were on this one. <laughs>
got to mend it. got to fix it. Yes, uh, <laughs> 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 we passed the resolution as, as it was presented, not with the change. So we didn't amend it. That's right. No. We didn't amend it. We, we, it's just the budget bill. It's it's the budget bill. <laughs> okay. Um, but it is a session law now. That's technically how you Well, Ken, then I, do we need to change it? Okay. All right. What is the time? 824. Sharing. Board <laughs> 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 members, who has some sharing? Mike. Uh, I sent an uh, email about, I read in the newspaper about students perhaps getting uh, credit for classes by examination. And uh, Dr. Priscilla responded, and I wanted to thank you for that response. And, and Dr. Parvey's going to give us a little. Update, update at our next meeting, too. I just haven't had a chance to send a chairs update. We have chairs meeting Tuesday. So our next meeting will have a little update on that, too. Other sharing? Jason. Um, so, I mean, we all know, but uh, um, Alice Gordon announced that she's not going to be running again for county commission. I hope that later in the year we perhaps recognize her for her dogged support of, of education here uh, in these 24 years. Um, and given that filing period is coming up uh, shortly within the month, I hope somebody with similar determination uh, files for that. So. Thank you. I second that. I second that. They usually have a reception for retiring um, commissioners and uh, you know, managers, and um, we, we could think of perhaps a resolution to honor her at that time as well. Really nice. You guys help me remember that. And you may be pleased to know that the Colbert um, side has been groundbreaking. We did present her with one of the golden shovels, um, which I don't think that we've ever done that before. I think yeah. that yeah, no, she, she was very We're down a shovel. We're down a shovel, but it was honoring <laughs> incredible persistence. Yeah, it's awesome. And we appreciate the two hours of the opening so that, that um, the you know the buses could be started and drivers have time to get in and keep little little ones safe. As well as our, our you know, older kids and the faculty as well. Are the buildings all, they did okay? We had um, a challenge at one of our older schools, Estes Hills, um, but the um, principal and assistant principal, they did a really good job. Children weren't in any unheated spaces. We just had, we had just random classrooms, some working, some not, and um, they really did a good job uh, communicating with families what was going on throughout. and. Um, when our, our, our maintenance staff got over there right away and got things right. So, but okay, other, just other than that, things went out. It's pretty well considering how cold it was. It was a record for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just wanted to, um, our February 10th and 11th uh, planning retreat um, will be the use for your, for your purposes. Um, the full day and then the half day on the second day. And I know Jim Zetta has sent out mm -hmm. uh, requests for topics you would like to cover with, with Andy Sachs. He'll be with us for part of that day. The major focus will be on our long-range plan and the change process we've been going through. Um, and a lot of discussion on facilities, budget issues. So it might be a little bit less of the um, Touch of collaboration. Because there's just a lot we have to get through with, yeah. with the current facilities. And budget issues and some information I can give you about the long-range plan and talking about the implementation of uh, what strategies for the following year and see how we